0: One of the things we haven't done is an unboxing video. I know that doesn't work for audio, but maybe my excitement will come through on audio. Shall sure. sh- shall we do an unboxing video?
1: Yeah, and what I was thinking too is, is we should start off, and I realized this one had to edit down the other one, yeah. start off with, you know, This is the pre-show for Welcome to the Music. Greg Godovitz is going to be joining us shortly, but first, or something, you know what I mean? That sounds good. Perfect.
0: We'll just leave that. What you just did is is great. Unboxing number one. Aren't you going to start with
1: With what what we just said? You just said it. Welcome to the pre-show. This is the (laughs) pre-show. Let's start this again, okay? Okay, you do it. All right. Welcome to the pre-show. Greg Godubis is going to be joining us shortly. But in the
0: meantime, you got two guys that are going to do an unboxing video, an unboxing for, video <laughs> for for our audio podcast. I think this is the first time ever a podcast has attempted an unboxing video. So I don't know if you can hear me open it. <laughs> oh, ho, ho, ho. I'm so happy that these guys put this record out. Uh, this is, let me
1: take the plastic off so you can see it better. Why do you get all the presents? I purchased this. I, it's not a present. <laughs> the Great Seal of the Hallucination. Yes. Nice. By a tribe nice. called Red.
0: Yes. Yes uh four it's 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 a two vinyl uh package so i am so looking forward to uh to listening to this uh this has to be uh and i'm wearing a hat by the way as well you are um for all for all
1: the listeners at home (laughs) that can't see you pointing to your hat that's right
0: uh this is the uh uh, one of the most um, emotional concerts I've been to, not that the music made you cry, but just the setting. I, I went to see uh, a tribe called the mm-hmm. red uh, a few summers ago uh, in, um, in Banff, Banff of all places at the Banff Banff center. I don't know. I can't remember what that place is called. Um, Banff music center Banff. Yeah. Something like that. But, um, you're sitting on the grounds, and right behind the stage are, are the are the Rockies, um, and so that was just an amazing concert. Uh, nice. And I'm looking for. So you didn't
1: get that given to you; you bought
0: that. Um, I purchased this, and yeah. I purchased this next one too. Well, oh, this is heavy!
1: Right. Look how thick that is. That people at home on the podcast can't see
0: how they thick. They can't is. know. <laughs> so, Greg. Uh, so a, a number of years ago, <laughs> uh, Neil Young uh, put out an album that for the life of me, I cannot get on vinyl. But uh, he's been putting out a lot of uh, live stuff, a lot of stuff from the vault. And uh, he just put this for sale last month. Wow. This is Neil Young and Crazy Horse way down in the rust bucket. And if uh, you could see my tattoo, it matches the yes, cover it of the album. Look at that.
1: Yes, it does.
0: Look at that. Again,
1: people at home listening on the podcast, see. they cannot see that. But yes, I can confirm that it does match your tattoo. Yeah. So
0: way down in the rust bucket, live from the Catalyst, Santa Cruz, California. November 13th, 1990. 19 tracks, three blistering sets on four LPs. Uh, the first live performances of the Ragged Glory songs. So I've been looking for vinyl, Ragged Glory, for a few years. And uh, just you can't find it anywhere. And now he's released this box set that has uh, the first live performances of that album. So uh, I'm really excited. So I've got this, and with this came uh, high-res audio as well. Um, So that got emailed to me. But uh, I am so excited to... Um, high res audio? High res audio. Yeah, high mm-hmm. resolution. I, I, it's, it's the... Uh,
1: it's usually high bit rate. Resolution is more a visual thing, but okay.
0: Yeah.
1: Is it the video? No. No,
0: All audio. Right. All right. Cool. There was a package where you could also get the audio as well.
1: You're not going to ask me about NFTs this week again, are you?
0: No, because you, you're, I don't know. Did you study up on NFTs?
1: <laughs> nope. Nope. Still know nothing. So I know I know probably less today than I did a week ago today. Did you? I, I know more
0: today than I knew last week. I understand it more. And it makes sense. Uh, to me, it makes well, sense. You
1: explained to me about the actual, like the merch and stuff like that makes less sense. Once you once you started going on about you get a hoodie and you get a hat and you get a limo ride and you get this and you get that, that to me made this NFT thing make even less sense because I understood an NFT was a digital asset, not, yes, so we were not talking- a disposable, a disp- because a T-shirt is a disposable asset. I can buy a T-shirt, I wear it once, nobody wants to buy it from me
0: again. Mateo, he's yelling at me again. Okay.
1: he's pointing to his dog for all those people who are at home
0: on the podcast, the audio podcast. So uh, we were talking about uh, NFTs in general, but also specifically uh, about um, what was the name of that band now that uh, released Kings of Leon. Kings of Leon. So the Kings of Leon were selling an NFT that came with a package of other things as well. Uh, which will probably entice people to uh, to buy the NFT. But if you think about NFTs in general, um, it is just uh, it just happens to be a digital product that is um, that is original. I want to use that word original, not unique, but original so it is the original
1: I this I, I covered all this to. off on last Live podcast last week yes but you you were confused about what you were talking about oh I'm very confused about what I'm talking about but no. I didn't it's the original it's not it's not unique it's not one of a kind it's it's you have the original version of whatever that asset is yes whether that well, is, how yeah. does that work with a t-shirt you have the original. You have like the first T-shirt off no, the you're printing, getting, and everything's a copy thereof. No, you're getting confused. You're you're mixing the two together. No, you, mix, so, you mixed you mix the two together. No, last week, what the Kings of Leon,
0: <laughs> what the Kings of Leon did. I do why you're just hyping on T-shirts because I didn't say T-shirts. But with the Kings of Leon, wait, no, Shh. whoa, 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 Shh. wait, let me finish. What the Shh. Kings of Leon did was you could buy a, a variety of different NFTs. I actually tried to buy one, but uh, apparently Tangerine isn't in approval. For $90,000? No, I was gonna buy the uh, an album um, for I think 50, 60, 70 bucks. Um, and, and so, what you would get so, as an example, um, one of their NFTs were selling for like hundreds upon hundreds of thousands of dollars. And what that was, was you got an NFT, yes, but you also got additional things as well. One of the things you got was four tickets to uh, four tickets over your lifetime to every single tour. Yes. So for example, if I bought the NFT and I kept it for a couple of years and Kings of Leon went on one tour, I would get that. If you happen to buy it from me, those rights to uh, those tickets now go the to you. Disposable asset. Now go to a Consum- consumable asset. Yep. Yeah, right. But the NFT is there plus anything that comes along with it. Now that was just one of them. This is very willy wonka, you realize. If right? if another <laughs> they also had NFTs, like the digital album.
1: Why right? do you hold your hand out like this? Like because if you didn't sale the thing, right, right, like right, and people you get are watching this on talking. YouTube. People are watching this on YouTube. But, I, but even people i watching on YouTube aren't going, oh yeah, that's an NFT in his hand.
0: NFT. Show He's you. holding up his dog,
1: ladies and gentlemen.
0: <laughs> Speaking of dogs, I've got to let the dog out. I don't know why someone closed the door and let him in. I'll be right back. I think this is great. This is time for commercial. So. And that's the pre-show. Hi, the following podcast is brought to you by Radical Road Brewery, the best craft beer in the heart of Leslieville. Find them at 1177 Queen Street East. That's Radical Road Brewery. Hello, my
2: name is Greg Godovitz. You might remember me from the bands Flood and Gatto, or this fantastic poster that Long John Baldry did of me in 1978. And here I am. It's great to be on Welcome to the Music. Besides getting character caricatures done, I also record many albums with my bands Flood and Gatto. There's a few of them right there. And I am the author of my first book, Travels With My Amp, Ha Ha, and the second book, which is out currently and why we're having these conversations, Up Close and Uncomfortable, much like Greg and Kareem are feeling right now. (laughs) Welcome to the music.
1: Perfect. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Glad to have you here, Greg. Uh, I want to share with you one quick thing to kick it off. We like to talk about live music. Um, you and I actually sort of shared a stage back early 90s. It was, it was um, some bar and I was asking my bandmates where it was and they, one of them thought maybe on Birchmount. I don't think it's around anymore. It looked it was like a bowling alley or a banquet hall. And we were opening up for Andy Kieran. Right. You were there, and you jumped on stage with Andy that night. So
2: I'm just trying to think on Birchmount where it would have been. I mean, I know there's that famous uh, Royal, the King's Head pub up there, but it looks like an English pub.
1: But there might yeah, this was South, or Kennedy maybe, or something. Kennedy, yeah. I don't know.
2: Because I still live in Scarborough. So, I mean, I, I'm almost like a roadmap for a walking roadmap for Scarborough. You too? Absolutely. All right. all right, good. We're
1: right. trying
0: to get Greg to move over. Oh, yeah, to, come, I, over to I, I come over. I was to the born and raised there. Oh, were you? Yeah. Okay. So, we're all yeah. Scarbarians. All
2: right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, I can't remember. Uh, I, I would, Andy Curran and I are great friends. Uh, of course. A lot yeah. of people don't know this, but uh, him and I wrote the theme music for TSN's That's Hockey. Which has been on every wow. hockey season for the last twenty odd years. Kachin, Kachin, Kachin. I kept the publishing.
1: Good for you, Mark Man. Yeah, I just wanted to share that story because we like again. It's, it's something I always remember is it? A- what was the name of the band? We were called the Life.
2: The Life. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'm sure it would be in one of my diaries if it was still in the 90s. I was still keeping. That's how I wrote my books is I kept diaries that
1: were accurate, you know, so I knew what I was yeah. doing every day. Yeah. Yeah. It would have been like 92, 93 kind of thing. Anyway. You don't look that old. Oh, well, thanks. I'll take that. <laughs>
0: I do. I look that old. But <laughs> I want to say a happy early birthday to you, Greg. Um, I don't know if we can say how old you're turning?
2: Or oh, I'll say it. I'm, I'm going to be seventy wonderful years old on Saturday. Happy birthday! Happy birthday! So, first of all, uh, anybody that's read my book, the first one, <laughs> they always say the same thing. They go, "It's incredible that you're still alive." It's, yeah, <laughs> because you know my hobbies back in the touring days were well. I had two big ones: um, riding around on the tops of cars that were doing a hundred miles an hour, mm-hmm. and uh, Jumping from balcony to balcony thirty fours up in hotels oh my goodness, Yes, now I won't even get on a stepladder, you know <laughs> and the bumper cars at the exhibition too rough for me as well, you know <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean i should have I should have bought the farm like a dozen times easily, you know wow. and uh, I guess there's you know I still have my work left to do, or else they would have taken me away by now are you uh
0: how are you celebrating this Saturday?
2: Uh, well, apparently we're going to have a Zoom birthday party. I can hardly wait to reach out and get my gifts right through cyberspace. You know, oh look what they bought me to drink that they're drinking over there. You know, uh, we're gonna go for dinner. Uh, there's a place. It's not like we're we're going to another uh, area. We're not area hopping, although we are. But it, my favorite restaurant in Canada is called Casa Verde. It's out in Pickering Village, and uh, we're gonna go there for dinner because I've. I must have eaten there a hundred times over the years and we don't even order anymore. We just go in and Roberto keeps it coming until I raise a little white flag and surrender. And then that's the end of the dinner, but the food is uh, uh Southern Italian and it's incredible. So we're going to go there for dinner with the kids, my kids and the grandkids. And, awesome. um, hopefully, you know, they won't make me pay for dinner for a change. Again. Know? Yeah. Again. Yes.
0: Yeah, or maybe they will now that they know you're uh you've been cashing all this TSN money for the past 20 years.
2: <laughs> yeah, so
1: it's long gone, trust me. <laughs> yeah.
0: So what 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 are you, what are you
1: opening? Cuz I know you're a big wine guy. I'm in the wine business. What are you opening? Are you? Oh,
2: yeah. Uh probably an Amarone that night nice. I would think. I mean that's that, that's it's either that or uh, a Barolo especially in this restaurant because they have a good selection of uh of Italian, and you know, when in Rome do as the Romans do, right, so yeah. it'll definitely be an Italian, or we might just let uh, Roberto uh, pick one out, you know
1: yeah, nice, nice yeah. i have I actually have I have something for you that I think you're going to like, and it's a shameless plug. yes, I like those our 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 company is launching the first national fine wine auction starting next Tuesday, so a day after this airs. Mm-hmm. This is the plug too that goes hopefully. Yeah, All right. um, but, but yeah, no. We're we we're, we're we're launching an auction, and it's everything from DRC to Harlan out about California. So well,
2: we'll, we'll have, have to talk out. further about that off the air I will, because I I'd be interested notes. in seeing that. In, in I'm in the dining room in our house here at Bossy and Braggy Manor, we call it, and up there uh, over the windows there are. Let me see. You got there's twelve different wine bottles that start with a 50-year-old vintage port that we we actually cracked when I was writing the second book. I I met Neil Young's sister, Astrid, and she's a wine sommelier working in uh, Prince Edward County. And she'd been over here for dinner, and she says, if you ever open that one, I want to be there when you open it. So I took it down there, and we, we drank it. But I've got, I mean, I've got like... Vintage Chateau Lafay Rothschilds up there. And I wish I I had known that this was going to happen because I would have brought a couple of them down. But a a, a very rich guy came over to our house one day for a a barbecue. (laughs) And all of these wines were in a case. So... He says, you know, here you go for the barbecue. And, you know, i got my friends there. And I, I pull out like a pomard from like the 50s or something. Nice. And I went, there's no way I'm serving this to my friends. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we opened one of them so he would enjoy it, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, and the rest of them I just put in the wine cellar. And been, we still have a few of them left. But we did some research. And the wine started in about the six or $700 uh, level. And they went wow. up, they went up from there. So, I mean, I'd never tasted
1: anything like that, you know. It, it's funny you mentioned about Lafitte because we just, uh, we ran the TSO charity wine auction. I know this is a music podcast, but anyway. Uh, and music, music and wine are life. Oh, okay. Totally, totally. <laughs> yes, yeah. And we ran, we ran the TSO charity wine auction and we sold an 1869 Lafitte.
2: Wow. What did that go for?
1: Um, I think like 30, 35, something like that. Yeah. We, we've got
2: a, I've got a picture from the Willow Park. Uh, This is the other reason why I'm giving you an hour because we're going to talk for 40 minutes on wine now. And then 20 minutes on music. Uh, The Willow Park winery in Calgary is the best wine uh, store I've ever seen in my life. And they have a bottle there that is $19,999 and 99 cents. And I said, do you actually give the penny back when somebody buys a bottle? <laughs> <laughs> I said, "So, what kind of guys buy? Do you sell these?" He goes, "Yeah, we sell about 6 oh. bottles a year." And I said, wow. "To who?" He goes, "It's usually some oil baron that's trying to impress a young chick." I mm-hmm. said, "Dude, you could get the best most expensive most beautiful call girl in the world for a couple thousand bucks <laughs> and a bottle of, you know, Plonk. And, and it's going to be a happy ending. I mean, why, why, why would you spend $20,000 on a bottle of wine? You know? I think, I, think I, would, I would even take a shot at going gay if I could drink some yeah. of that wine. You know? Oh, my. Oh, <laughs> my. Sure. You're making me thirsty here, Greg. I got to tell you, man. Ah, uh, sorry.
0: <laughs> yeah. So sp- speaking of, uh, you know, people asking you, uh, or or being in in wonder and amazement that you're still alive i'm i'm almost shocked that uh you're still alive after uh the hell you went through as a scout okay
2: oh, yeah. <laughs> Okay, so he, he's referring. I've got a, I've got a story in uh, in my new book called "The Sinister Scoutmaster."
0: You have a couple of stories in there. And, and before you go, the reason well, I then, say that is because on Mondays, I lead a cub pack. So,
2: <laughs> well, you, you look rela- you look relatively safe. But if you if you if if you thank you you know read read the story about this guy, yeah, an actual human, well, an actual guy. That's I would crazy. say he was a human being. That all that stuff happened. And and just you know, to give the, the folks at home a, a reader's digest thing, when I was eleven or twelve, we went to Scout camp with this maniac. And yeah. Maniac is the only word. Where he would do things like he would get us to, to make spears that were pointed. And then he come out in a loincloth and throw <laughs> a spear. Like the, when the Zulus do it in the movie called The Naked Prey and Cornell Wilde is the guy they've captured, they give him a little flask of water and say, when you get to the spear, keep running because you don't want us to catch you. And this guy was the same way. He thought nothing of throwing a spear, it would land somewhere in your body, knocking you over, and then he would drag you off and h- hang you upside down and light a fire underneath you. And then he would it's poke cool. you with this. I mean, he was like, you, you could make Stephen King couldn't come up with this stuff. <laughs> so can, it's like that movie, uh, you know, where the, where the four kids go looking for the body down down mm-hmm. the Stand by Me. They stand yeah. by yeah. Me. Yeah. Somebody could make a movie out of
0: the adventures in this one story. That is nuts because I've been to I've been to that uh, Scout Reserve numerous times. and always have a blast there. And as yeah. I was reading that particular chapter, I was just howling. Well, most people
2: do. My older brother, Ted, read it and he said, why didn't you tell dad about this guy? I said, because we said he's sort of crazy for an adult. Let's not tell and then we can keep going away with him, you know. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what happened was at the end of this. Why well, shouldn't give the end of the story? No, I, I, no, they're going to have to buy the book. They're going to have to go to shopgreggadovitz. This is always backwards. Right there, can you see that? Yeah, yeah. Yep, shopgreggadovitz yep. and then you can find out the ending of this horrendous story.
0: Yeah,
2: how's that for a shameless plug?
0: You did make it out alive. That's number one. So we know that. <laughs> oh no, I, no, I did die, but uh, when I, when I got better. You got <laughs> That is great. So you never decided that you wanted to be a scout leader and inflict some pain on on other uh, no. unknowing kids.
2: No, no. I became a, a band leader and had the roadies to do that too.
0: So. <laughs> <laughs> He's the posing with microphone stands. You know that that is hilarious. Um, well, I, I want to ask you this because Greg Greg does this as well. Um, Greg, you know, didn't, uh, didn't have obviously the, uh, the lengthy musical career, uh, that, that you did. Um, but Greg comes out of it being, uh, like an amazing chef. Um, and in your book, you, you talk about the different dishes you make and you even have like a recipe. Uh, I think it's one of the chapters you have like a recipe there. And I I was thinking of reading like a, a beastie boys book because in their book. They got a bunch of stuff. Um, out of nowhere, there. So, so tell me about you and uh, the kitchen. How did that come about? Well,
2: we're always posting pictures of food and stuff. I mean, Mrs. Claypool, my gal, uh, she uh, she's great. She's in the kitchen every day making something, and I'm pretty good myself. But I, I defer to the expert, and she does a lot of the cooking. But even going to restaurants, like we're big on supporting local business. Mm-hmm. and uh you know if we eat in a restaurant or we find a new hamburger joint especially in scarborough we're the first to take pictures of it and let people know so for years people have been saying you should clearly also write a cookbook but if you if you get around to really reading those those uh recipes it's it's sort of like this you've got a list of the ingredients and then number 1 crack an egg in a bowl and with a whisk, whisk whisk Uh, number two, you know, add some anchovies, the uh, chopped up finely and garlic. Number three, see that bottle of wine over there that you're keeping <laughs> for the company, go ahead, open it up and have a little taste. So what happens is if you follow my recipe, you'll be completely snap drunk by the time you finish making the meal. So once again, it's, you know, finding humor where there shouldn't be any and, uh, you know uh, that's I've been really fortunate in the in the fact that travels with my aunt had people laughing out loud while they were reading it. It was sort of inadvertent that that happened. I just happened to the way I write things <laughs> comes across where you could read it and go they start laughing, and the wife will go, "What is this idiot doing now?" and then they took the husband tells, but this one I intentionally wrote it to be a humor book, which is why it wasn't just about more music stuff. Uh, Initially I'd written 150 pages of part two of travels with my Amp, And then I, I realized after a few months, it was just, it was just more of the same, you know? So I thought, no, I'm going to start again and write stories about a few stories about my childhood because I didn't have anything about my childhood in travels except for the fact that I was 13 when I started playing. But I, I went immediately from playing guns in, in the park with my friends to being in a rock band playing on Young Street at one o'clock in the morning when I was 14 years old, you know? So wow. I didn't have much of a childhood. Thank God. Uh, you know, I wanted to write about other things and, and the next yes. book would be even more the
1: same. You talk about what one of the things I really enjoyed was the, the rules to writing a book, and the three that I loved was you know, never, never, never let the truth get in the way of a good story. I think, yes, yes, is that right? Yes, uh, there was, there was, uh, drinking lots of booze, which you and I have both shared already in this yes. podcast, so good way to write, and and swearing, um, yes. using, using profanity. And uh, I thought, I'm reading that, I'm going, that's that's life.
2: Well, it is. I mean, you know, the way I write, I think anybody that reads this stuff, they can relate to, you know, it's like, you know, Kareem going to, to camp and stuff. Anybody that's been there is going to know that there was somebody else that was nutty that was in their orbit, you know. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure there's tons of guys that are righteous dudes out there doing that. We just happened to find the one guy. The one crazy guy. The one guy that was completely, you know, a socio-psychopath, you know. Yeah. And uh, and then we never heard from him again. He just, he sort of disappeared and went to another troop somewhere, you know. I mean, he was just a really crazy dude, man. And it's funny because I've had a couple of people that read the book and said, we had that guy too. <laughs> yeah. What, do you happen <laughs> to remember the name of your scout troop? I don't. Uh, we, we were in a church, uh, St. Bede's, just up the street from where my mom lived. Okay, I remember his full name, but I didn't write it in the book. I mean, I'm sure I'm sure his real name wasn't Skip. You know, no. (laughs) I mean, I happen to know Skip Prokop's name was Larry. You know, so whether or not this Skip's name was Larry, I don't know. But uh, I'm sure it wasn't
0: that. You know. Yeah, we had we had a good Skip.
2: (laughs) But my Cub Scout guys were good. They were good guys, but then they, all of a sudden we were, all of a sudden, you know, we, we learned all our reef knots and everything. It was time to go away to camp. So let's send the kids out there. I'll tell you something. If I was ever on survivor, I would win hands down for sure. <laughs> well, so if yeah, you could survive two weeks in the bush <laughs> with this guy. you
0: <laughs> I, I wanted to ask you, um, you, you talked about that restaurant in, in Pickering. Um, one of the things that I like to do is, you know, go, go to different Scarborough places. Um, Is there a Scarborough restaurant that you've recently discovered that everybody needs to know about?
2: Well, there's all sorts of them in Scarborough. Uh, My gal, uh, she compiled a list of about 300 uh, very ethnic kind of places where people could go and have a good lunch or dinner or whatever. Uh, There's a, there's a Japanese restaurant on uh, Eglinton Avenue East uh, where Brimley and Danforth and Eglinton all meet where the Knob Hill Hotel mm-hmm. used to be, which okay. they, now, they now torn down. Yeah. But this, these guys moved in about five years ago. It's called uh, Nakamori Japanese. And that's quickly becoming a favorite go-to for us because this guy, he he was taught by the Iron Chefs in Tokyo. Nobu, his name mm-hmm. is. We become great friends with him and his family. I even had, The first week I met them, I had them over here and I made them a turkey dinner. Which is, which is also what I did with the guys from Casa Verde. The first weekend I met them, I said, what do you guys do on Sunday? They said, well, we order pizza. I said, not this Sunday. Bring your family. You're coming to my place. I'm going to make you a full turkey dinner.
1: Nice. I, I wanted to, to go back to we were talking about kids and not necessarily about scouts, but um, one of the stories that I loved in the book was the bonding experience with your son and Nikki sex.
2: <laughs> whoa, wait, whoa. Okay, well, we, I was working for Randall. I was working with uh, Randall Amplifiers uh, back in the day. So part of my job was to go when our endorsees were in town. And I took my son to Maple Leaf Gardens and Motley Crew were playing. And uh, we went out. And sat in the front row during their sound check. And, of course, they took umbrage with, like, who's this old man and his kids sitting in the front row? So they basically came and had us removed, which I thought was a, just a really amateur shot. And yeah. uh, But afterwards, the two girls, the harlots or whatever they called themselves, were doing a photo shoot for Rolling Stone. And they came up to me and said, can we... Have your son in the photograph with us. I said, Well, I'm gonna to have to be there, you know, for it, make sure everything's cool, you know. And it was it was innocent enough. I mean, it was these two hot LA babes, uh, you know, using my four-year-old or yeah, four at the time, who you know was a very, very good-looking child. So then they invited us for dinner, and we're sitting there, and Nikki Six comes in and sits down, and he goes, Well, hey, little guy, I'm Nikki Six." And my son goes, I'm Nile, I'm four. And of course, every, <laughs> everybody burst out laughing. And I could see that Nikki was a little bit, you know, the fact that, it, so I'm like doing this, like to keep from laughing out. So Nikki recovers. Uh, he says to him, So, hey, little guy, you're going to be a big rock star like Nikki Six? When Nile doesn't even look up, he goes, Nah, I'm going to be a baseball player. <laughs> so he, i mean he, i watched my kid get this guy twice you know it was classic yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. that was awesome
0: Sorry. I love that was hilarious and true <laughs> okay so the, you, you got to tell me this you are a a ufo what is it you a, a believer you believe in ufos oh yeah in, in aliens so my question is, and I know it's on the cover of your book as well. Mm-hmm. Um, why are you so sure of this?
2: Well, I've, I've seen more UFOs than any human being I know. Uh, the, the guys at MUFON, which is the mutual UFO network, uh, I go to all their conferences and stuff. And I've met all those guys that you see on television, you know, the, the talking head experts on this subject. I know most of them. Uh, Nick Pope and, and uh, Grant Cameron and uh, uh, other names are escaping me right now, but I, I've talked to all of them. Uh, they they say that I'm a UFO magnet, that they just, for some reason, they always seem to be around where I'm at. And uh, not only that, but I, and the stories in the book uh, I sat beside someone that wasn't from around here on an airplane one night.
0: So that's not just a funny story. That's actually happened.
2: That actually happens. All of the stuff that I wrote in that story actually happened. I mean, one of the first great ones I saw was coming back from the Bahamas. And my wife at the time looked out the window of the plane. And she said, Greg, what is that? And I looked out and sitting on those beautiful white fluffy clouds was this cylindrical object that was pointed at one end and circular at the other end. There was no lights. There was no vapor trail. It looked like it was enveloped in like a smoky gray mist and it was just sitting there but it was a size not being able to really ascertain how far it was away it was about the size of a good sized battleship and it was just sitting on the clouds huge yeah so i you know ding 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 and called the stewardess over when we used to call them that and i said uh, what's that and she went holy shit and she went instantly running up to the front of the to tell the crew what was going on now, we looked out and we watched it until it was out of sight. So it wasn't moving. It was just hovering there. And, uh, and we were moving. But the funny thing was there wasn't a big uproar on our side of the plane. I don't know if people were sleeping or if they had their windows shut or what it was. But it only seemed to be like the two of us that could see it and now this woman And then she goes walking by. Now it's out of sight because we've waited long enough that, you know, we've done our bit and it's still sitting way back there. So ding, 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 I call her over. I said, so what was it? And she goes, so typically, what was what, sir? And I said, oh, I said, oh, come on. I said, you saw that as well as we did. And you went up and told the crew about it. I said, now keep in mind, this is many years before 9-11. When you could almost get away with saying this, and I said, you know, lady, if I had a gun, we'd be on our way to have a look at it right now. And she says, don't even say that on this plane. When we, when we arrive in Toronto, pilot comes on and he says, we'd like you all to stay in your seats. Uh, we have another crew coming on that will, will help you. get." It. So they took the entire flight crew that was on our flight off the plane. Now, where do you think they went? They they went for a debriefing, right? Yeah,
1: debriefing. Yeah, yeah.
2: And then they brought another crew on. And uh when I went out, I went up to the counter and I said, So do you want to tell me what was going on? She said, We have no idea what you're talking about. And yet that is, this, Yeah, and, and yet this thing was absolutely, I mean, it's bigger than any ship I've ever seen. And it's just, you know, floating there. <laughs> but I, I see them all the time. I've seen them in Egypt over the pyramids, I've seen them in uh, oh. in uh in the Bahamas. I've seen them coming down from Markham once, about two months ago. I have a story in my new book about the kid across the road from where I live. He says, did you hear that in the sky last night? I said, no. And he tried to explain it to me, what he'd heard. And the next night I went out for a smoke and I hear this huge clanking sound, like it was clank, clank, and it was moving. So he comes running out. He goes, that's what I heard last night. So I went over to his house and we're standing there and you could audibly hear this thing clanking down the street, but there was nothing in the sky. There was no rumble from the sound we were hearing. And then it went south and then it went uh, west and then it came up the other way and then all of a sudden it jumped behind us so that we could hear it bouncing off the apartment buildings about four blocks the other way. Now I called my guys at Move On, and they said, "Of course you heard it. They follow you around." Jeez. But, yeah. So, wow. so you know, I've done all the UFO shows. Uh, I've I've seen people that are watching, and they go, "This guy's completely out of his mind." It's
0: not true. I'm not. I mean, I it's know what it It's You you write in the book because <clears throat> I think it's in the book um, or read somewhere where you were talking about it. Like over this past year, with everybody focused on uh, on COVID nineteen, like didn't the U.S. government release? Yes, they did, right? I thought I thought that was true.
2: Yes, the the the, the Pentagon came, NASA came th- forward with uh, they call it the Tic Tac, and in two thousand and fourteen, the Nimitz aircraft group, the carrier, were having they were doing uh, maneuvers. And all of a sudden, the radar guys got wind of the fact that there was these tic-tac-shaped things that were defying everything we know about physics and aerodynamics and everything. So they scrambled a couple of F-18s up. A couple of hornets went up. And this, this story was on the front page of the New York Times that, you know, these, they've agreed that whatever these things are, we don't know what they are. They're not from around here. But was it the was it the shot heard around the world? It was not. It was on the front page of the Washington Post. I mean, these are two big time newspapers that are going. UFOs are real. We don't know why they're here. We don't know. All we know is that. And then they were on some of these television shows where they interview these pilots, saying, "Yeah, "All all we know for sure is if we had to do any sort of like you know like take them out." It's not going to happen. You know, they can accelerate from zero to 60,000 miles an hour in a wink of an eye. So, you know, we can't do that. <laughs> so, they're, they're, I mean, they've mm-hmm. been here for millions of years. I mean, not just since Roswell in 1947. These things have been coming here forever. Uh, my my thought on what our planet is, is we're nothing but a Petri dish. And they've been making things grow here and genetically altering things DNA-wise since the beginning of time. They could have been responsible for dumping dinosaurs down here. And then when that little scientific experiment didn't work out, well, just lob a meteor at us. That should take care of them all. We can start again. <laughs> I mean, and I know to some people this sounds absolutely crazy, but until you've actually seen them, you know, and most people don't. yeah. You know, uh, I'm just one of the lucky guys that all of a sudden, you know, I'll be, you know, I'm walking down the beach in Cabarete, Dominican Republic. And some guy says, hey, do you want to see something unusual? And I said, yeah. And he goes, look. And I look up and in this cloudless, perfectly blue sky, there is something hovering way up in the sky over top of us. And my daughter was with me. She could see it. Her girlfriend couldn't. A lot of the people kept coming over and going, what are you guys looking at? Some of them could see it. The guys on the beach that sell the baubles, they were freaking in Spanish because they could all see it. Wow! And it was just, and you know, but you know, here's, here's a stranger on the beach comes up to me and says, Hey, you want to see something unusual? I never saw him again. I mean, it was just, it was weird.
1: That's wow. That's crazy. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to try to segue this back into, into music. music? <laughs> I am I am so so going from planes being on planes and seeing UFOs one of the things that I love is a poster that you shared from Barrymore's yeah it had you too that had you too there's my there's my segue eh? yep.
0: mm-hmm.
1: give me that one eh? yep. um had you too you're with God it had U2, your, uh, Doug and the slug. Like I just, it I had a Gold. of
2: bands. Rheingold was on there, They Reingold. played, the night, they, which is Larry Gowan's band. Yeah. And, uh, and, uh, uh, countless other bands that played within, it was the month of March for whatever year that was 1980 or whatever it was. Yeah, And it was like, uh, $5 to see us. It was like
1: six fifty to see you two. Uh, and I mean, you got to start somewhere, right? Yeah, but I mean, but whatever where I was going to go with that is, I mean, to me, Barrymore's, and I know we're going to get to sort of a lost venue discussion, but it, knock on wood, Barrymore's and, and other venues make it through what we're going through right now. But to me, just I love Barrymore's is one of my favorite venues I've ever played. I just love that room. Yeah, it,
2: incredible. First of all, Barrymore started life out as a, uh, uh, it was a strip club. It was called Pandora's Box, and before <laughs> that, it was it was it was probably uh, a vaudeville theater so for people that have never been there it's it's right downtown in ottawa there's three levels to it you got the your your ponder level right in the front where the stage is and everything and then an, another group up and then a balcony area i remember when we played there once i'm st- uh, the dressing room was right up at the top so i remember standing out in front of the dressing room where you could see the whole theater and i got my guitar tech beside me and i say to him i said uh, hey uh Who's that guy on stage by My Guitars? He goes, I don't know. I said, isn't it your job to be looking after My Guitars? He goes, yeah. (laughs) I said, you'll notice that that guy's picking up My Guitar right now and going out the back door. And they went down. They never got it back. It was 10 minutes to showtime, and he stole my Ovation 12-string. And it went right out wow. the back door. We never saw it again. But, but here's, anyway, Barry Morris is no longer there, which is a tragedy because it's a great place. Here's a poster for you. These are also yes, available.
0: that's in your book as well. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So this, this is when we played in 1978 uh, at Minkler Auditorium and our special guest star, The Guess Who. Now, this wasn't The Guess Who with Burton Cummings because he'd left, uh, nor Randy, but, but uh, oh, okay. Jimmy Gale. Jimmy Cale was there, and Gary Peterson, and a guy named, uh, oh, God, I always know his name, but I've just forgotten it, a uh, great singer, uh, sounded just like Burton. They, they they were doing the Burton Company, the, the, the Guess Who Hits, you know, and they'd gone, they'd obviously dropped quite a bit to end up as an opening act, but they, we all did it. Everybody goes up and down and up and down. But I remember Jimmy Cale, who's been a friend of mine for, forever since those days, he came up to me and, and I said, Jimmy, I got to tell you, I feel really weird about this, you know. And he puts his hand on my shoulder and he goes, it's okay, Greg. This is your 15 minutes of fame. Enjoy it. <laughs> and we're still friends. I, we just talked nice. at Christmas. We talked at Christmas. I mean, every time I go to Winnipeg, he comes out of isolation and comes to the Fort Gary Hotel Rotunda Bar and he, he tells me, he says, you're the only guy I would leave my house for. He says, because I know we're going to spend the next two hours tearing the crap out of Burton. And that's what we do.
0: In jest, though? No. No? no. Can, can we talk about that?
2: No. Okay. <laughs> they could buy, buy, buy the book yeah. and read a story called Lenny's Lost Wallet. <laughs> all, all will be explained. Yeah. yeah. Fair without, enough. Getting, without getting sued. Yes.
0: Fair enough. Uh, <laughs> I, remember, I remember performing in the Minkler Auditorium with my grade five? Or was it grade seven? Choir singing Fame. That's the only song I remember singing uh, at that one particular concert. It's a great sounding room. It must have sounded lovely. I hope so. I can't remember. <laughs> I just remember yelling at the end of the song, Fame! That's all I remember, and everybody looking up at me.
2: <laughs> but you, you know, my first my first uh, public performance was uh, my dad took me to the Ringling Brothers uh, Circus at Maple Leaf Gardens. And this clown came over and said, can, can we borrow your kid uh, for a bit we're doing? And, of course, you know, who doesn't trust clowns, you know? So my dad says, <laughs> take them, you know? And what it was was they had a Volkswagen that they'd soaped up all the windows And now me and about 20 other kids were being backstage, put like sardines inside this Volkswagen, right? So we drive out, the clown drives us out, the door opens. He starts bringing out kids one at a time. Now they'd taken away all the seats inside. So you couldn't really see how they did it. It was a great gag. So the kids come out and at one point I get pulled out and, and they all go nuts and and, you know, you get your applause. And I went, this is, the lights are coming down. And I went, this is show business, you know. And then the clown goes to shut the door and he goes, ah. And he goes back in and pulls a full-grown live goat that was in the vehicle with the clown and 20 little kids, including myself, and a goat. And that was my entry into show business. And you got hooked. Which, oh, I was hooked. It's the person <laughs> you know, the. The hot goat chicks, you know, the, <laughs> the, the smell of the, the roar of the, the sawdust.
0: Um, you talked about uh, Barry Morris in Ottawa. Um, I'm, I'm wondering, Garrick, is, is there a another venue that uh, unfortunately is not around anymore that um, that holds a special place in your heart? Uh,
2: Countless, but I'm going to go with the Gasworks on Young Street. Mm-hmm. I mean, we when we got Gatto together, uh, we couldn't get a gig there. Like, we, no, no, you guys are nobody. Nobody knows who you are. And then we we get, after the first month we were together, we get a gig opening up at Massey Hall for Golden Earring. And the next day on the 6 o'clock rock report and in the newspapers, all they talked about was us. So now all of a sudden, we're good enough to play the Gasworks. And we get there on the first Monday night of a week long stand and it's lined up down the street. So instant acceptance for the band, even though we we only had like 16 songs or something, you know, but I remember one night uh, we're playing and this famous girl about town, I think they're called groupies shows up in the front row in front of the stage, trying to get my attention. And we stopped the song and I said, how can I help you? She goes, I've got Rick Nielsen and Robin Zander in a limousine out front. They won't let them in. So I said, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. And I go and I get them in. How you doing? Nice to meet you. And uh, they come in and I said to them, I said, do you guys want to sit in? And they both looked at each other and went, yeah. I said, what do you want to play? And Robin said, I'll do sound. And Rick says, I'll do lights. And they did for the rest of the night. (laughs) They didn't play music with us. They just did sound and lights. And I just thought that was the super coolest thing. That's I think I have hilarious. a picture of Rick in the new book, holding my book upside down or holding, holding this one upside down. I said, well, what a kidder, you know, but uh, yeah, it was nice. You know, that we had a lot of instances like that. Black Sabbath came to see us there every night for a week. Wow! And Ozzy kept asking me, do you want to go back and have a drink and you know, whatever at the hotel? And I said, I just kept putting him off, you know. So finally on Saturday, he comes out to me, he says, Don't you like me? And I said, Oh yeah, I like you just fine. I said, I just, you know, I'm picking up girls and things. I don't, I don't want to talk to you. You know, so <laughs> he says, I said, I'll tell you what, we'll come back for a drink at your place tonight. So Bob Segarini and I go back to whatever hotel they were staying at just up the street from the gas works. And uh, you know, they got a glass top table, you know what that means, you know. And uh we we're, we're doing we're getting all this business done and talking rock and roll and stuff. And Segarini has to tie his shoelace and he stands up and he's got a stubby beer bottle under his armpit, which falls and goes right through the glass top table. And Ozzy ah. instantly becomes the Ozzy. He goes, They're gonna think I did that. They're gonna make me pay for that. <laughs> They're gonna think now. There was nothing left to do on the glass top table anyway, so we just said our goodbyes and we left.
1: <laughs> and Ozzy
2: and Ozzy had to pay for the uh for the, uh,
1: <laughs> the table, the table. Yeah. My favorite my favorite gas to- uh, gas work story is uh it was anvil. Oh yeah. And and I'm trying to remember if either Steve or Rob knew this guy or not, but he seemed to be sort of with the band. And it was like, it was like the intermission. You might even know, I don't know. I don't know. And this guy, part of the show was he would drink a pitcher of beer through his one nostril. Oh,
2: no, I would remember him.
1: Yeah. And it was just, I, I guess, you know, I guess this was part of Anvil's intermission. I, I, I knew a guy,
2: I knew a guy there that could uh, inhale a cigarette and have it come out of his ears. Yeah. Really? Yeah, that was that was strange to see. And I'm the guy, I don't know if have you ever heard of Souvlaki Bill? No. So, no. Bill is still alive. He was the notorious Greek manager of the gasworks. And I'm the one. He would he would make when he wasn't beating people up with his cane and throwing them out, he made souvlaki's in the kitchen. So I started calling him Souvlaki Bill. And that name became Famous. Everybody called him Souvlaki Bill. Souvlaki Bill. Yeah, and I I used to stop in the middle of under my hat with hold the long note, and then I'd come back with it. I'll keep it under my, and then we go into it. But I would stop it, and I'd point and I go, Souvlaki Bill is fat, and then we'd go into the song. And he just, he just to this day, he called me today, but I I couldn't pick up because I was doing something else. But we became great friend, lifelong friends, and he's got to be in his 80s now easily, you know. Uh, but what a what a character and a legendary guy in the Toronto music scene.
0: The Gasworks. That was on Young Street, right?
2: Yeah. And, and, of course, you know, Mike Myers immortalized it in Wayne's World. Yep. Uh, because, he, you know, every night's a babe fest, man. I mean, it was a rock and roll bar. I mean. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I was involved. I got a call. I was in the bath one day, and I get a call from Sebastian Bach the week that he was oh. on the cover of Rolling Stone. Hey, Greg, that voice he's got, you know, Sebastian, man, we got to save the gasworks, man. <laughs> I said, well, I know we're not going to save the gasworks, but the guys on the front, I am certainly not one to pass up some, you know, shameless self-promotion. I know this is going to make the newspapers. I'm in. So we organize getting Triumph and Anvil and Coney Hatch and all these guys are going to Helix. Everybody's coming down. And Sebastian wants to sit in with Gatto and a couple of other people. Great. So the night before the show, we have a dress rehearsal. And it's we're getting ready to go on. Everything's running like clockwork. We're, t- we're timing it, making sure, you know, because some of us are professionals. And he's not there. So I call up his wife, Maria, and I said, where's Sebastian? Oh, he's sleeping. I said, please put him on the phone right now. And I'm at a phone booth, right? We didn't have cell phones. And he goes, hey, man. And I said, listen, rock star. And I started, I can't say, I mean, I was swearing at, just get your ass down here now, man. you get, like screaming at him. We go on stage. He's supposed to sing Cock On with us and we do the tough times bit and we slam into cock on and all of a sudden I see the front door of the gasworks open and he comes running in like full steam and jumps on stage and makes his mark just where the vocals supposed to come in and then he sheepishly looks over at me like this and I went okay you know <laughs> i mean nobody if you know sebastian nobody would talk to him like that but he had such respect you know for us first generation guys that he yeah just came down fast, you know, and we're still great friends to this day.
0: Whatever happened to him? He sort of disappeared for a while.
2: Oh no, he does very well. I, when I was living in Calgary, I went a couple of times to see him at the, uh, one of the casinos and, you know, people can say, Oh, casinos, what are you kidding? Casinos are the best paying gigs for route yeah. because they want to get, especially with the classic rock bands, they want to get you in there because your fans are not the kind of people that have a joint and go home they want 10 drinks and gamble all night. Yeah. So I loved it when we finally got onto the casino circuit, because, you know, first of all, you play for like 40 minutes. They pay you 10 times the amount of money that you ever made back in the old
0: days. And then you could go and gamble and blow it all after the show. (laughs) (laughs) He had one of the best rock voices. I just loved his voice.
2: Well, you know, what's funny is I was there with the girl and we watched a few songs and I said, I'm hungry. Let's go get something to eat. Then he he got them to put on the lights in the hall and say, Greg Goddard is here. We wanted to get him up. And I've been the restaurant eating. Well, he's like, oh. Greg, where are you, man? Somebody go fly. <laughs> later <laughs> I said, later I told him I had a seniors moment. and I had to go to the washroom. So, <laughs> Smash it. so if you're watching
0: and you know, sorry. Um, can you talk to us about what's going on in your involvement with the Elma Combo? Uh,
2: I was hired uh, along with Eddie Kramer, uh, the famous record engineer that did all the Hendrix albums and yeah. built Electric Lady Studios in New York. Uh, the guy that had bought the Alma Combo uh, hired me to be uh, a curator for memorabilia. Uh, They'd had a guy doing my job for a year that found nothing. And then I got the job and knew exactly who to phone. Pretty soon I've got 40 of those hand painted, you know, cards, you know, this week, Blondie, you know, this week, the cars, this week, David Johansson, this week, Seals and Crops. I found 40 of them. Some of them were autographed. And then I knew waitresses that worked there and they had, Table cards announcing who was coming. They had ticket stubs. We had old band T-shirts. I found all this stuff, had it museum quality framed. Uh, Eddie was building uh, him and John Stork from New York that were had built Electric Lady were building the studio in there, and then everything went sideways and the wheels fell off. And uh, in June of 2018, I said I quit. And two weeks later, Eddie said, I too quit. And uh, Eddie and I are still great friends, and we're planning on doing some work together. Uh, but the two of us left. Uh, and okay. I, I, you know, I didn't even want – I started to write about it in, in this book, and then I, I thought, I'm going to save it for the next book, you know? Oh, and yeah. uh this the whole story of what went on there. And it's it's a killer. It's a killer story. Is Eddie still in Toronto? No, he he actually moved out to uh, to Prince Edward County. Uh, Mrs. Oh. Claypool, Mrs. Claypool had found me a house out there. Uh, I could never write at home. So I would always like borrow some rich guy's place in the country in, in Canmore under the Rocky Mountains for a month or two. And then some palace down in the Dominican, you know. Uh, and then I, I thought I got to finish this book, but I can't finish it at home because there's too many distractions, you know. So she found me this fantastic house that was a couple hundred years old. It was a heritage home. And I moved in there. And uh, Eddie and his lovely wife, AJ, came down to visit. And when I finished, we would go to the wineries and stuff. I'm sure Greg knows about all the great wines down there. And, uh, And then they eventually said, we're leaving Toronto. And they took over. Oh, wow. So it's great. So instead of me paying the rent now and them coming no,
1: and doesn't. looching, now they pay the rent. I go and looch, so. Perfect. 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 So you mentioned about the third book, the trilogy. The, I don't know whether it be the final of the trilogy or if there'll be more afterwards. But, um, you know, the, what I one thing I love about the books is it's just so full of so many great, like, sh- stories about live shows or shows, not even just live shows, just the, 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 the a story behind a show. Um, can you share maybe one of the stories that's going to be coming up in the new book?
2: Uh, well, I haven't just really, teaser. I haven't really written anything story-wise okay. so far. What I've been writing about is what we've been going through for the last year. Mm-hmm. And I'm howling with laughter in my little office writing and Mrs. Claypool comes in and she goes, what are you laughing at? So I'll show her. And she goes, I don't, only you can find humor (laughs) like ridiculously funny humor in what we're going through. But then I've got other stories that are coming back in my mind about like, for instance, I played in a band that had a, a residency at a place called blues on Bel Air every Tuesday and the only night I ever took Tuesday off, Prince showed up and played with my band all night. Oh. And there's, it, it's a great story, and that's as much as I'll give away of it. Yeah. So that story is going to go in. Oh. Uh, there's also the first night I went to um, Eddie and AJ's place for dinner, I said, well, you know, my friends in our circle of friends call me the candle fairy, so I'll go light the candles and I'll pour the Prosecco, you know. And there was these beautiful crystal goblets on the table. And within one minute, you heard this tinkling sound and me going, oh, no. And I'd smashed one of these priceless crystal goblets. And I hear low moaning. I couldn't tell if it was Eddie or AJ in the kitchen. And I tried to blame it on Mrs. Claypool. But they knew I did it. Uh, As it turns out, uh, finally... (coughs) Is that somebody in your house? Oh, it's a war zone here. I've got okay, teenagers. So I, <laughs> I, I, I think that's Mrs. Claypool saying, whatever you do, don't tell this story. <laughs> I thought I thought it was coming from your end. It's like, shh, shh, shh. <laughs> That's what it's it you okay, okay, all I'm going to say about this, because I, I talked to them the other day, and they are given me permission to write this story. Eddie had worked on a very famous album with a really super famous rock thing, okay? And it was a gift from this rock star to the Kramers, and I just broke the set, right? Wow. wow. Yeah, I know it's a bad story.
0: Yeah. Wow. So when
2: they when they came over, I had some uh, tall champagne flutes that were all different colors. They were hand blown crystal. They were phenomenal, and I came out and gave Eddie one and said. Go ahead. <laughs> <You> know, like, <laughs> but he was far too much a gentleman to do wow. it. You know, <laughs> So those, those are the kind of things that will be going in. Yeah. Uh, I realized that I wrote nothing about the eight years I spent in Calgary, like just little bits of what I was doing out there. I was mm-hmm. producing artists out there. I was playing with some great, you know, one night I had a jam session and uh, Tommy Chong from Cheech and Chong came mm-hmm. to see me, ended up jamming with me for two hours. One of the guys in the Stampeders. I mean, we had some good times out there. Paul Dean would come down every Sunday and play all night with me. Uh, Paul and I eventually, Paul produced this album, uh, Amuse Me, also available at Shop Greg Godovitz. And uh, we had a lot of adventures there. Uh, So I didn't write anything about the eight years in Calgary. Uh, Or the five years returning to Toronto and like working on the Almo project and stuff. So I got a lot to write about. But I also at the same time realized I'm writing a trilogy here, basically. It's a three-part book. So I've entitled this book, and I'm going to keep this title. I don't care who knows. The book is called The Idiot's Trilogy Part (laughs) 4.
1: Makes sense to me. (laughs) <laughs> perfect perfect so greg one of the things we would like to ask our guests before we uh finish up is what what are you listening to lately what's what's in your earbuds
2: uh there's a uh there's an artist out of new york that was the soundtrack of me writing this book uh i got a copy of his album called cornerstone his name is richard x Heyman h-e-y-m-a-n and his CD got stuck in the, in, in my computer. So for 14 months, all I listened to was his (laughs) album over and over and over and over. It became my favorite album of all time. Uh, Anyway, I did a little research and he's still in New York city. He still looks like Todd Rundgren from the, like the NAS days when he was, you know, the perfect beetle haircut. He's looking up the guy already. Now Richard's, (laughs) Richard's got about six albums and, We've become friends. I, I sent him Travels with my hamp. Him and his wife, Nancy, loved it. Excuse me. I sent them the galley copy of Up Close. They really loved it. And we've become great friends who probably will never really get to meet each other in person. Uh, but I hope wow. we do. I want to do some music with this guy. But he, he's, he's probably the one that I would listen to the most these days. I like the old classic songs. You know, you give me anything from the British Invasion, I'm in. I hear one of those Jerry and the Pacemaker songs come on the radio or that beautiful drum salvo at the beginning of She Loves You. I'm cranking the thing up. Yeah. Uh, But there's a lot of other bands. I love Crowded House. Uh, What we did was uh, this computer that I'm on right now that Mrs. Claypool bought, we took, I think, almost 2,000 CDs from our combined collections and loaded them into the computer in different uh, sections. So all the British Invasion stuff is in one section all the blue stuff is in another. The classical stuff is in another. Uh, we have uh, anything involving animals singing, like, uh, huh. the, you know, kittens singing Christmas carols. That's way <laughs> over there somewhere in the section. But w- we put them on random sometimes. Like w- nighttime, if we're having Italian food, we put on Frank Sinatra and Tony Bennett and Andrea Bocelli, and they just rotate around, you know. So w- we, we have pretty eclectic tastes in this house. Nice. Uh, I love sitar music. I actually have a sitar downstairs in the basement from the same place where Ravi Shankar and George Harrison got theirs in New Delhi. So it's like a Stradivarius of sitars, you know.
0: That's amazing, Greg. Um, I would love once uh, everyone's got their jabs and uh, we are are safe to to hang out and go to shows and stuff. Would love to have you at our our home away from home at the uh, radical road brewery in, uh, in Leslieville uh, to chat more, to share a pint uh, as well, or even have you over at, uh, at one of my favorite uh, Scarborough restaurants, China cottage at. Uh, I okay. I don't know that one. Where's that one at? Pharmacy in Ellesmere. Okay. All right. Pharmacy. Yeah. Haka Chinese. Okay.
2: We like that stuff. We we, we got a few that we, uh, that we go to, uh um, there's one called Chung Chung Moy at Kennedy and uh, Eglinton. Yeah, it's on the it's on the north. It's beside a gas station on the northwest corner. It's Hakka and it's very very good. Yeah, there's so many. There's a guy on Kingston Road right now called the Art of Barbecue. He's uh, his name's Trevor and he smokes briskets and stuff every day and ribs. Oh, there's so many good restaurants in this area. It's incredible, you know. Good Indian
0: restaurants around? Oh, there are there are a lot. Uh, can't wait to meet you in person. Thank you so much uh, for it's great being here for yeah. your time. It's been great, Greg. Uh, before we let you go, uh, people want to buy the poster. They want to buy your CDs and books. Uh, where is the best place for them to go?
2: Well, can you guys see that? Again. Where it says shop, Greg Gonovitz? Yeah. That's where yeah. they go. www. and all of that stuff. You know what we even have that you might interest you guys. And I didn't bring a bottle of it out. I have my own hot sauce called mm. "In We Trust." Cock on sauce, and it's like a, a hot wing sauce. Yeah, uh, and it's got it's got the same picture for the label. Uh, we use this one that that Long John Baldry. Now, when people get these, these are numbered. We only we only printed a hundred of them, and they're signed and uh, and numbered. Uh, so for both of these posters, but we got a whole bunch of other stuff coming up like mugs and you know, these days you gotta diversify. Uh, absolutely. You know, and, and I, I I highly recommend that people check out the uh the Paul Dean produced uh yes, I should have just my head. Down. Down. Uh, the Paul Dean produced album uh because uh, as Paul said, he said these are the best songs you've ever written. And and he did a hell of a job producing. I mean, Lover Boy sold thirty million records. Uh, I sold zero million records. I'll defer to the expert. <laughs> yeah. You know, Greg, I was gonna, I was gonna wear my Blue Jays t-shirt tonight, man. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm a huge Blue Jays fan. I, I see that. Uh, I, I know you are. Grieve's got his uh, Jays stuff over oh. here. Yeah, got oh,
0: the yeah. Jays yeah. stuff there. Got the Neil Young uh, yeah. t-shirt. I,
2: I still, I still, uh, I still have my uh, seasons opener ticket tickets from last season on the fridge. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I have they were really good seats too. They their front row right over home plate, man. You know, wow. I had, I had, were those Getty Lee's tickets? No, th- this was in the uh, comfort zone right above. I could throw things down at Getty, you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I actually took my son to Bautista's last game in the comfort uh, zone. Nice. It was just father, son, in fact, Warren from iron gate got us the tickets for it. And it was just, it was a great send off and a good father Sunday at,
2: Oh, there's nothing like going to the ballpark. You know, yeah. I mean, I, I miss those thirty-dollar hot dogs. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. you know, yeah. we at home we've got the same Baldwin Street hot dogs that they serve. They're really good ones down there, and uh, we'll watch a ball game on the television, and we have you know like ballpark mustard, and you know we have a beer. <laughs> And I only charge Mrs. Claypool 25 for them, so I'm pretty good at that. That's a that. deal. That's yeah. a deal. <laughs> it saves five bucks. Yeah. It's been my pleasure to be here. Uh, it, it's amazing it's amazing how time flies when some guy doesn't yeah. shut his mouth.
0: That's yeah. the way we love we it. Appreciate we, love, it. You. we love these stories. It has been a yeah. blast. Yeah.
1: Let's Please do pleasure. it when the next book comes out. For, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. For and sure. we'll do it at Radical
2: Road over a couple of pints. And uh, for every, anybody that's still watching out there, if you haven't, like, you know, started snoring or your eyes haven't glazed <laughs> over, uh, I just want to thank you uh, for, on behalf of the guy that's been in this business for 57 beautiful years for the continued s- support and uh, understanding that even crazy old people can still play music. Have an
0: awesome birthday, Greg, this weekend. Yes, happy birthday, sir.
2: Okay, guys. Thanks very much for having me. Right. I'm going to go have dinner and drink You're wine. Good.